We've been in this study of Nehemiah, and boy, let me tell you something. Today, um, I almost just want to hop down on the floor and just talk about it. I, as I go through my notes, I, like their notes are there, but if I'm, if I'm honest, today as we talk about the poor, I, 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 there's sometimes you preach messages that just flow out of you because you've been through something. But then there's messages, there's sermons that God puts in your heart that says, okay, Scott, this is where we're going, and I need you to be on board too. This is not just something that you know and you're hoping everybody will catch up with you. No, these are places that I want you to go because I, it's places I want them to go as well. And if I'll be honest with you, I've not been a great manager or steward in terms of the poor and relationships. Um, Back in Little Rock, the poor will often try to exploit you, or the poor will try to exploit you. And so there's always been a guard up, if that makes sense. Sometimes you don't know if people are really playing that part or they're really needy. And so when I begin to read this and the Lord's been speaking to me about the poor, I said, oh, Lord, you know how the poor are around here, <laughs> you know? And he said, yeah, just like they were 25, 300 years ago. You know, it's, it's, it's the same. And so... Uh, today, I, I really want to talk to you and show you some truths, but just know that I'm after our heart. And you need to know as your pastor as well that, that I'm still working on some things. And so today, I, I'm not going to give you some practicals. I mean, I think I will to some degree, but really, I, I just want you to open up your heart as to what the Lord wants to speak about the poor as we uh, read chapter 5. I want you to know that God's love, care, and treatment an inclusion of the poor um, eagerly appears on every scripture, it seems like, in the Word. The poor is constantly talked about. Uh, so if you don't mind, just indulge me for a minute. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Concerning the poor, the provision for the poor, Leviticus 19, 9 through 11 says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the, the field right to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings as your, after your harvest, and you shall, not trip your, uh, you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, you shall not deal false, uh, false, and you shall not lie to another. So he's grouping that in with the commandments. You see how important that is. He's saying leave some for the poor. Now look at Deuteronomy chapter 15, 7 through 11. He says concerning our heart. This is... This is how our heart is supposed to be towards the poor. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor in any of your towns within your land that your Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother, but you shall open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. Take care lest there be an unworthy thought in your heart and you say, the seventh year, the year release is near and your eye look in, uh, grudgingly upon your poor brother. And you give him nothing, and he cried to the Lord against you, and you be guilty of your sin. Verse 10, you shall give to him freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him. Mm. That ain't easy, y'all. It, it may be easy for you. It's not easy for Scott Brandon. It's not easy, because it, Iman, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, are they going to steward this? Do they know how hard I had to work to get this? There was some sacrifice. There was some pain. This was not an easy thing. I'm not giving you something I found. I'm giving you something I worked for. So when I give it to you, I expect you to be diligent about it. 
And so it's hard for me sometimes to not give it cheerfully, even though that's not what the scriptures say. I don't know if you know, but I'm not perfect yet. Uh, one of these days when I see Jesus, I'll be like him and I'll be perfect, but I'm not there just yet. Verse 10, you shall give to him freely, man, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give to him because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and all that you undertake. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Mm. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Psalms 12 verse 5 says this, Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise. I will lift up all that I am as God and come, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he belongs. Amos 4 through 6 says, concerning the judgment, when Israel was not living right, the prophets often said, here's how we know you've wandered from God, Israel, because the prophets speak about your lack of uh, caring for the poor. Uh, it says, listen to this, you who rob the poor and trample down the needy, you can't wait for the Sabbath day to be over and the religious festivals to end so you can get back the cheat, get back to cheating the helpless. You measure out grain with dishonest measures and you cheat the buyer with dishonest scales and you mix the grain you sell with chaff swept from the floor. Then you enslave the poor for one piece of silver or a pair of sandals. This is a common practice. And the last thing I just want to bring to your attention in terms of how important the poor is, Paul is, Paul is being sent to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. That's an important thing. You and I are Gentiles because we're not Jews. So you and I are not knowing what it's like to be in the covenant. Paul is speaking that gospel before he goes. It says in verse 9, And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and to the, uh, they to the circumcised. Only they ask us to remember the poor. The very thing I was eager to do. So in other words, he's saying this. Now, we want you to go preach the gospel, but don't forget the poor. Think about that. We know the gospel is here in terms of our mission, right, on this earth. We know the gospel is this, but they just said, don't forget the poor. That concept to think that the gospel and the poor go hand in hand is something that we don't really embrace in American Christianity. In fact, we look at poor people as a sign that you're outside the will of God. You're outside God's favor. It's very easy for us to have that type of mentality. And so today, today as we discuss chapter 5, I want you to approach this, this chapter differently. Uh, because in general, like I said, we were a bit judgmental. But I want you to see the heart of God for the poor. How important it is to him. And I want you to ask God to show you people who are poor in the finances, so they're broke, poor in health, so they're sick, poor in spirit, so they're lost, um, or poor in relationships because they're lonely. You ever been lonely before? You know how hard that is to move through life? You can have everything else that you want, but when you're lonely, that's a lost feeling. And, and I pray that the Lord would change our heart. Here's why. Because what I feel about, about what God wants to do through Harrison Faith, 
that before he does the great things, he's got to accomplish the very significant thing. We cannot truly and adequately reach people if we don't understand with the least of these first. And, and when I say least of these, don't feel like you're in a cat. If you feel like, yes, I'm poor, there's, there's many ways to be poor. But I want you to understand is that as we are reaching out to people, when we see people come in here, you need to know that if our hearts can love unconditionally, and sometimes that's difficult, if our hearts can love unconditionally the poor, you will know God. You will know love. And you will know life in a way you've not comprehended. I want, I want you to understand, if we can grasp this ability to have a heart for the poor, to have a love for the poor. People who, who the, our first response is to judge them, is to say, well, why are you that way? How come you don't have that? It's just natural for us. That's just what humans do by default. But if we can push past that flesh and get back to where our spirit leads the ship and say, okay, I want to engage this rightly. I want to engage this with a, a heart of God. Because don't you know that your God in heaven could judge us any day? He has a right to judge, but he moves past all those things because of his heart to truly love us. And so I want you to understand today is, first off, I'll, let me just ask you and, and ask you, why have you, why have you come today? Why, why are you here? What, 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 what brings you here? I would think if I was to answer for you was, I would say, uh, Pastor Scott, I'm here to know God. I want to know him. And can I tell you that one of the greatest ways to know him and love him is to, is to love and care for the things that he loves and cares about. It's just the way, you, if you're married, you know, a good way to show your spouse you love them is to love the things that they love and to care for the things that they care for. And it's the same way with God. And so today as we pray, can I just, can I just ask you to say, Lord, will you really... Uh, open my heart to how you really want me to be, how you really want me to see people. Teach me to look at those who are not as great off as I am in different areas of life, but give me compassion and give me a heart to love those who are poor in whatever sphere and arena of life. Lord, I, I ask you that today. God, you know, I, I stand before you guilty. So many times, Lord, I've passed over the poor. I didn't want to be unclean with their uncleanliness, Lord. And so I, I pray that you would do a work in me, in us. Lord, we, we want your heart. We do. We need it. It's difficult, Lord, because the world doesn't want us to think like you think. And and they give us all the reasons, God, to be honest with you. If I'm just being transparent, the world gives us so many reasons to not help, to not give, to not be freely and, and open-handed in our gifts to them. But I know, Father, that that's not how you thought of us. We gave you every reason to stay in heaven and to not die upon the cross. But, Lord, you came open-handed, open-hearted, and you freely gave your son. And so I'm asking God that today you would do that for us, that you would help us to think like you, 
see like you, speak like you, give like you, and love like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So turn with me to chapter five. Hey, will you, is my, is my Bible right there? Would you, <laughs> I forgot about that. Nehemiah chapter five. Thank you very much, babe. Nehemiah chapter five, we are going to look at this issue with the poor. We've been seeing all through these previous chapters that um, the wall has been going up. Remember we said the wall was something that in your life that speaks of God. So what is it in your life that, that God is wanting to raise up and build back and put back even better because it speaks of who he is. It speaks of how faithful he is. That could be a multitude of things. But as we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 5, here's what we see is the wall has stopped. The work has stopped and there's a famine in the land. People have been working on the wall, and as they've been working on the wall, the, uh, um, now, that, now there's a need for food, and so everyone's quit working on the wall because those who are working on the wall can't, can't have food because, right, they can't go to Walmart and just buy food. They have to go raise that stuff and put that stuff in the ground and, 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 and work hard, and so they've been working hard on the wall, and now they don't have any grain and food to eat, and, and there's those people who do have grain. They do have food, and you gotta, you gotta think, well, why y'all got food when y'all should have been on the wall working? And can you imagine that, right? When you're doing the Lord's work and you're suffering to pay the bill when everyone else is not doing the Lord's work and they're out there saying, yeah, I got all that you need plus interest. And so you kind of see some opposition here and there's some, some oppression here of the poor. And so here, here is the, the climate that we're in. Obviously, Nehemiah is not going to be happy about this. And uh, yet again, we'll see Nehemiah pray one of those prayers one more time. I'm like, Lord, okay. Um, these folks are making me angry, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to myself. And I'm going to talk to you. And we're going we're gonna to move past it. So here's what I want you to see. Think about that wall that's in your life, the thing you've asked God just to build back. What I want you to know when it comes to the wall, that God is not so much trying to build a wall, things that speak of him as he is trying to build a faithful people. He's not so much trying to build a wall as he is trying to build a faithful people. Yes, God wants to use you to build things that speak of him, but you speak of him more than any wall he could ever build. And so he's trying to cultivate this understanding of who we are in representation of who he is. And not that we represent God in all that what we do, but the overflow of what we do is first who we are. And so the very first verse as we start out, we see it says, now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. That word outcry is a bit of a, sometimes when you read scripture, it just kind of flies right past you. But the word outcry is a major word. It's almost a, a huge distress call. In fact, just to kind of give you a bit of a, a context on how, that, how big that word means, the word outcry was used when Sodom and Gomorrah was in outcry of their sin to God. So it got God's attention. It was so great that that makes sense. Also, Esau, when he realized he lost his birthright, he, he cried greatly to his father for a blessing because you, you have to understand, right? This is, this is the, the covenant that God promised with Abraham, and he missed it, and, and his brother received it instead. So he was in humongous distress he was asking for his father, please give me this, this blessing. He was crying greatly. Also, it was used when the Hebrew children were in uh, Egypt with slavery. And they cried out to God and he heard their cries and came to them and delivered them. 
And it was also used when Pharaoh lost his son uh, at, the, at the last issuing decree of the, of the plague. He cried greatly. So when we read that now there arose a great outcry, you understand the severity of that word against uh, the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. Notice that this is how the enemy works. He doesn't always work from the external. Y'all know if y'all got family, sometimes he works from the internal too, right? The, the, he's a sneaky thing he is. And sometimes we're always ready for the outside and then somehow he backdoors into our family. Maybe it's distant family, maybe it's closer family, maybe it's immediate family, or maybe it's just the ones that you thought you could always trust, but you'll see sometimes the enemy wants to come in and create division always in in areas of need. And here we are in verse 2 through 5, and this is the layers of distress here. First, we see that people are too busy working uh, that they can't tend to their fields. They can't, they can't uh, take care of food. And so then you have people who are having to mortgage what they have so they can get food. And then you have people who are actually paying the king's tax. And the king's taxes is even though you have um, all this work on the wall, the king's taxes are still required. Our, our exercises is still wanting his tax. And so people are saying, we can't work and pay the tax. So what we had to do was we went in debt. And now we had to offer up our children as down payment that will pay it off. And some of the, the, the ladies here have already been, in, in different translations, that they have already been molested because they have been given away to people who are not so trusting. And, so, and, then, and then the dads say this, what can we do about it? Because they own our fields. They own our children. Our children as their, as their children. Our flesh is their flesh. They own us. We don't know what to do. And so they are perplexed as to what to do. And so then verse 7, we see Nehemiah say this. He says, well, I took counsel with myself. That's a good thing. <laughs> Can I tell you the next time you get in an argument with anyone, especially your significant other, you might want to take counsel with yourself. Amen. Before you call the pastor, take counsel with yourself, right? Before you get a, a, an opinion on Facebook, take counsel with yourself. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Because uh, sometimes you can actually walk yourself through some stuff. Have you paused about it? Have you thought about it? Have you prayed about it? Before you post one of those things on social media that says, see more, because you got so much to say. Have you actually counseled with yourself before you get angry and leave the church and go back to Persia? Have you counseled with yourself? It's important for us to do just that. And then he says in verse uh, 8 and 9, actually, let me finish out verse 7 through 9. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials, and I said to them, you are exacting interest from each of his brother. And I held a great assembly against them, and I said to them, we, as far as we are able, have bought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations, but you even sell your own brothers that they may be sold to us. They, uh, they were silent and could not find a word to say. I've been there before. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to fear or walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations um, of our enemies? I, I want to just say this again. This is a huge statement. 
So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nation, our enemies? This is a a massive concept here that Nehemiah is throwing at us. But what I want you to understand is that in this, this reference here, He's saying to walk in the fear of the Lord, he's actually referencing an an old principle, uh, an old command in Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, in Leviticus. Read that with me. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 35 through 37. He says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, you shall support him as though he were a stranger and a sojourner, and he shall live with you. Uh Uh-oh. I'm glad that's Old Testament. (laughs) boy lord that's a whole another level we trying to you know live with me take no interest from him or profit but fear your god that your brother all of a sudden he's my brother now may live beside you you shall not lend him money at interest nor give him your food for profit notice that you shall not lend your money at interest nor give him your food for profit let me just make some things clear the practice of, of, of interest was, and money lending was a, was a normal practice. And it wasn't really an unholy practice, but what God did not like for them to do was when people were needy and they're just trying to pay the bills, you can't just give them what they need to pay the bills and charge interest. Now, if they asked for a loan to build a business, it was okay for you to charge interest. But if they were needing something, if they were behind, they were in deficit, you couldn't profit off their need. You follow what I'm saying? And so here he's saying, that's not right. You can't take from them what really you didn't have in the first place. Because if you remember going back to uh, the Exodus account, everyone left Egypt broke. Like, they, they didn't have all this stuff. They, they had things that the people gave to them, but they were by far not rich at all. And so the Lord's saying this, I brought you out of slavery to bring you to a place of abundance, and here you are using my stuff to enslave another person. When the very reason I brought you out of Egypt was to bring you peace, is to let people know that you're not a reproach to me. And so since you're using my stuff to enslave someone else, you have compromised my character. Therefore, you have made claim against my deity as God and called me not God because I'm all good, all loving, all powerful, and I brought you to a place to show you those things so people would know that about me. But since you're acting like the rest of the world, that represents me, and you have stripped me of my deity in this way. It's a major issue. It's one thing just to say, I'm trying to make a little money. It's another thing to say, well, I'm going to give what God has given me so I can exploit my brother, and I'm thankful that God gave me this so I can take advantage of him. Therefore, God has taken advantage of your brother, and you're just the middleman. It's a major issue here. Major issue here. So Nehemiah is just not temperamental, and, 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 and he's, he's great one day and he's bad one day. No, he's, he has a serious concern here. But it doesn't just stop right there. Because sometimes we can say, well, Pastor Scott, I'm so glad I don't got grain. And I'm so glad I don't got food to give people and exploit over them. Or maybe we do in different financial ways. But that principle doesn't stop just right there. It goes a little further. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 25. 
if, if, you're, if, you, if you're relaxing your, uh, your feet, just go ahead and curl those toes up real tight. Maybe I'll miss them. Matthew 18, verse 23 to 25, concerning forgiveness. Therefore, the kingdom of, of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle his accounts with his servants. Y'all heard this before. When he began to settle, one who was brought to him owed him 10,000 talents. How much was that? More than this guy will ever know in his lifetime. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. Now, what did he receive? Forgiveness. He received forgiveness from the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found, out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is not much at all. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, having patience, have patience with me and I will pay you. But notice this, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what he had, had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Yeah. Notice here in this instance, what was given was forgiveness. It was forgiveness that was given. And yet you know what it's like when forgiveness is held over you, when people don't forgive you because you act in a way that you're trying to earn trust back. You're trying to earn respect back. And can I tell you that this is an easy thing for us to do because it's natural for us that when we, are, we have been hurt, we don't want to forgive freely because we want to make sure we hold that over you because we don't want you to do to us what we just went through. And so we hold you in a place where we really can't forgive you. We really can't trust God. Even though it's him that, that is his righteousness was transgressed against, even though it's him that gives forgiveness in the first place, we're still holding on to this because we know that if we truly forgive, there might be a chance it might happen again. And so we don't want to forgive. And the Lord is saying this, no, 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 no. It's just like the food. When I give you something, it's not for you to hold on to, it's for you to give away. And if you use it to gain advantage on someone else, then it's me that empowered you to exploit someone else. And I am not that kind of God. Don't compromise my character by your own selfish agenda. I am a God who gives freely. I bankrupt all of heaven for you. Surely you can be a bit, a bit placed in your life, a, a, a bit inconvenienced in your life and issuing forgiveness. But it doesn't stop at forgiveness either. Can we go a little further? Because sometimes we don't exploit people over what they need, but sometimes we exploit people over what we have. We flaunt it to some degree. We create problems. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says, now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, 
He does not yet know as he ought to know. I feel like I've heard that before. Uh, You don't know what you're talking about, Scott. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to eat of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence. That's our knowledge. And that there is no God but one God. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things and through whom we exist. However, let's just change the sentence here. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not condemn us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours, this advantage of, you, of yours, this gain that you have, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, though it would cause him to sin? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. The brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes your brother stumble, I will never eat meat, never practice my freedoms, never fail to forgive or give what has been freely given to me, lest I make my brother stumble. Did you hear those adages? Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble... I will never eat meat, never practice freedoms, fail to forgive, or give what has been freely given to me, lest I make my brother stumble. What Paul is saying here is simply this, is that all that we've received, knowledge, gives birth to freedom of conscience, that there are things that you and I can do that other people cannot do because it's a, it's a problem for them. It creates a trap for them. Uh, I'll give an example. Um, growing up, I used to love, I love music. I love music, but certain kind of music changes who I am. Uh, And if I listen to it too often, it's not good for me. And so when I hear this music, um, it would change me drastically. And I had a friend who loved that music, had no conviction about it whatsoever at all, but the Lord was convicting me with it uh, entirely. And every time we would ride together, I had to tell him, I said, Dow, I can't listen to that. He's like, man, you can't listen to this. this is, dude, this is what we grew up on. No, I can't. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. And so eventually what would happen is, is that I'd listen to it because he wasn't a great friend. <laughs> He's just a best friend. Um, and so I would struggle and I'm like, down, like, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, brother. Like, like, you can't, like, that stuff changes how I am. And so, and there was many different instances, but in this particular moment, what I want you to understand is that I had some real struggles real convictions, and I had some real lack of freedoms because the Lord was trying to produce in me something greater than what I had already been through in life. Now, he didn't have that problem, but I did. And because he was practicing that, causing me to stumble, I wish I could preach to him today and say, do you realize you are compromising God's character? Because God doesn't cause me to stumble. So let me just ask you and kind of wrap this up into a summary here. I haven't even started to preach yet, by the way. No, I'm just, I'm just talking. Um, where, where are we? Where are, what, what things has God given us that we, have, that we have not really given freely, that we hold on to, 
because we're worried about the future. We're having to protect us and how we operate because we don't want to be hurt. We don't want to be taken advantage of. We don't want to be rejected. Those instances in life are, are things that God is trying to deal with us. Can I tell you that concerning this wall that God is building in our life, what good is a wall of distinction when Israel keeps acting like all the other nations? And what good is it for God to do something great and miraculous in our life when all we do is act like the world? Because we know the world doesn't want to give to the poor either. This is one way we, as a church, we can set ourselves apart. And, and when we get to this place soon to do unto the poor as we would do unto Christ, I want people to know who we are, that we are a people who give uh, generously. That they know the love of God is in us because we give, even though we know sometimes they will not really appreciate all that we have. We're not giving because they deserve it. We're giving because it was given to us. In fact, I would say giving is a matter of obedience, right? It's not a matter of judgment. It's not, I didn't make it up and, and, and work it up. I can't just give it away because, because God didn't bless me and I had no favor. No, 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 no. I'm just a steward of what he gives me. That means my finances. That means my time. That means my influence. That means my passions. That means my skill. That means my words. That means my looks, my presence. There's so much more to you than your purse or your wallet. You have a lot that God has given you. What are we doing with that? And how are we given freely and generously? Five simple truths, and I'm done. I want you to, I want you to understand how can we be more faithful uh, to God and be a faithful people to God. First one is this. What you need to understand is that the world does not dictate failure for God's people. We do. We do. The enemy will try to come and, and use things in our life to exploit our brothers and sisters. But listen, the world does not dictate our failure. We do. Which is funny because right now, amongst, I'll just use a, a current issue. We're looking at Disney right now, how Disney is just trying to recruit half of its characters to be, to be, to be homosexual and, and to push their sexual agenda and transgender agenda on our younger kids at a very young age. And does that upset me? Yes, it does. But can I tell you that Disney is not going to raise my children. Disney is not going to dictate the success of my church either. That's just not how it works. Right? Because forever the world has been trying to attack the church. Forever the world has tried to dictate and put its schemes and its agenda in the church, around the church, and on the church, and yet the church is still here. Why? Because we don't build on sand, we build on rock. That's the difference. So let it come. Can I tell you another secret? And you look out, look out through history is that when the church really grows, it's when the culture gets really bad. Because there's a refining to see who really loves God, who really cares for God. And the Lord begins to sift. Matter of fact, that's what Nehemiah did. He said, as they asked for forgiveness, he said, let me shake my garment. And all you who don't believe in what you said and don't trust in God, let him be shaken too. And so I believe that the Lord allows these, these cultural infringements on us to refine us again. This is the fire. And although I am fully for the church molding the culture and not the culture molding the church, I'm not worried about its influence on the church. Because when it comes down to it, 
It's a matter of sand versus rock, right? And he says, what was this rock that we were to build our house upon? He said, it's the word of God, the eternal word of God. If I'm going to fight over anything, it's going to be the inerrancy of the word of God. If I'm going to make sure I'm in anything, learning, understanding, and appreciating anything, it's the word of God. Our success is based on if we build on the rock. Our success is not based on whether the storm comes. Our success is not based on whether the, the, the storm is severe, whether the floods are high, or whether the wind is strong. Those things will always be what they are. But our success is built on the rock. And so we cannot allow ourselves to attack ourselves because the real problem is going to be within the body of Christ and not an external pressure. Neither am I worried about men competing in women's sports. Do I like that? No, I don't. Am I for that? No, I'm not. Is it scriptural? No, it's not. But I'm not going to allow it to dictate my belief, my faith in the church because I know where success comes. Success comes from the Lord. And that's how it's going to be. And that's how it's going to stay. Second thing is this, that God evaluates faithfulness differently than we do. How do we move forward understanding how to put out the world and build this, this wall of success? We have to understand that, that God evaluates faithfulness differently than you and I do. For a lot of us, coming to church is a great thing. Check. I got that done. I prayed. Check. I gave. Check. I, I served. Check. And so many of these checks add up, and when we realize we're not doing the things that God's really concerned with, have you been giving to the poor? Have you forgiven? What are you doing in matters of the heart? It's so easy for us to look at the ceremonial things or the ritual things or the righteous practices and offset things in our life. Can I tell you that if you're struggling with secret sin, you can come to church all day, but it doesn't offset that sin. So we must be careful because here they are, Going and being a part of the temple, but not building the wall. And the Lord's like, wait a minute. So you're going to the temple. The wall's almost there. But my bigger issue is this, that you're not loving each other. That you're not loving each other. I feel like I've read somewhere in Scripture that says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What he cares about most, what he's concerned with most is your love for one another. And notice there's no there's no description in the another. It's love the one another who's poor or who's not like you or who's different from you in any way or regard. You must love them. Third thing is this. Just because something is legal or normal doesn't mean it's right. As we read through here, Nehemiah says this. Guys, I know you've been given uh, uh, and, and taken money and interest, but I haven't done any of that. I had the right to demand from all of you. You've been profiting off your brothers and sisters. I could have been profiting off of you. It was legal and normal as a governor, but I didn't do that. Why? Because I knew it was better for you that I gave to you rather than uh, take from you. Can I tell you, it's so easy in this world to do things that are legal and normal, but they not be right. What, What can I ask you is, what are, what are some things that all the other salespersons do that you shouldn't do, even though it's legal and normal? What are some things that all the other teachers do that are legal and normal, but you shouldn't do? What are some of the things that, that doctors and lawyers and all your coworkers and colleagues, what are they doing 
that's legal and normal, but you should not be doing. We're, we're talking about a people that we're building, not a wall. A, a wall speaks of the people who speaks of God. And so what things in your life that are legal and normal that you should not be doing? Moms, what are other moms doing that are legal and normal that you should not be doing? What are our friends doing that are legal and normal that we should not be doing? Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I would not be dominated by anything. It's important for us to understand just because something's legal and normal doesn't mean it's right. Fourth thing is this. Our concern for the poor is a mark of God's faithful people. I want you to really understand that. That our concern for the poor is a mark. It's a characteristic. It's how we can say, that's God's people. That's God's faithful people. Can I tell you that the situation affecting the poor is not a matter of the, oppress, uh, the oppressors uh, against the oppressor, uh, oppressed. It's a matter of sinners and sinners. That's what it comes down to. It's just, it's just we, we want to say it's the have and the have-nots, but it's really sinners doing what sinners do. Nothing other than that. There's, a, there's an equality there. People really are not against you. They're just for themselves. Because nobody wakes up as an oppressor and says, I'm going to oppress them people today. We don't do that. And nobody wakes up as, a, as an oppressed person and says, I'm going to be oppressed today because I don't got what it takes to be an oppressor. We just don't do that. No, people are not against us. They're just for themselves. We have to understand that mentality. But we also have to understand that God is, is, is wanting us to think of others more significantly than ourselves. Did you know that, that church, um, long before, I'm sorry, hospitals and colleges ever were, the reason why those things came about was because Christians loved people and saw them as equal. And they thought, you, you should have health care even though you're poor and not just the rich. So they brought about this institution that they called the hospital. They saw the same principle in terms of education. They realized, listen, just because you're a smart person doesn't mean you're the only person, a rich person should be smart. If you were, if you were poor, you should also be educated. And because we saw people as Christ saw people, now colleges come about. Did you know that during the bubonic plague, bubonic plague, is that correct? That, that Christians were the ones who were going house to house when they were not sick, taking care of people who were prone to die. Why? Because it's not about what we've received. It's about what we're giving. These things are characteristic of Christianity. And if you look all throughout history, you'll never see a people care for the poor like Christianity. That's why America leads the way in our care for the poor. Because we were founded, regardless of what they might say, we were founded on biblical principle. More than important, we were founded on Christian values. More important, we were founded on the fear of God. And that fear of God causes us to walk rightly. So the last thing I just want to say, and I'm done. In fact, if Caleb and the team would come back. How much you care about others is how much you care about the Lord. In fact, if I could just say that differently, how much you care about others is how much you fear the Lord. How much you fear the Lord. Nehemiah 5, 9, he says this. So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to present the taunts of the nations of our enemies? The taunts Nehemiah was referring to was the reproach on our character. 
We can't say we're a people who are holy and a just loving God when we act otherwise. We can't do that because the people are looking. Did you know that people who know you're a Christian are looking for a way to exploit your lack of sanctification, your lack of righteousness? The moment you slip up, the moment you treat people less than yourself, isn't it funny how, how unbelievers, unrighteous people know the word a little bit better than us when it comes to conviction, right? Now, you're, now I thought you were saved. You're not supposed to be saying stuff like that or acting that way. They, they, they know the standard, guys. They know the expectation. And Nehemiah is saying, if you fear the Lord, don't do this. Let me just remind you of God's instruction for us. John 13, 34 through 35 says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this will all people know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. And how will we know that you fear the Lord? Look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, wow, notice how specific he gets. But if anyone has the world's goods, and you see your brother in need, yet you close your heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You know, sometimes I read scripture and I say, Lord, I, 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 I'm speechless. Because when I read stuff like this, I realize I've missed it so much. How can I say that God's love abides in me, that I believe I love people, I'm for people, I want to teach people, I want to grow in life with people, but yet when it comes to those who are really needy, I, I, I close my hand. Why is it we're so selfish? Where does that gene come from? What does that desire to just focus on me and mine come from? And so I want to ask you today, as we close, man, Lord, I, I, I don't want to be this way anymore. What would it be like if you and I were just as generous as possible, that we really tested God? And God said, test me and see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. It's the only place in Scripture we can test God. And he's saying that concerning our giving. And again, giving can be more than financial. Can you test God and say, Lord, I want you to give to people. So here's how I want you to do it. I want you, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to give like I'm going to go bankrupt. Like I'm purposely trying to go bankrupt, whether it be time, talent, or treasures, whatever it is. And I want to see, Lord, if I can trust you. I want to see, Lord, if, if, you can really, if you can really pour out a blessing in my life. And notice today, I'm not asking you for a blessing. What I'm really asking the Lord to do in us is that he change our heart. Before he ever moves our hand, we got to deal with the heart. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray with you and for you. But I got to be honest. This is a hard issue just for me. It's a hard issue for me. You know, growing up in the places I grew up, there were so many poor people that, that just exploited you all the time. And, and my heart got callous to that. Um, not only that, but people just take advantage of you. People just take advantage of you in life. I think it's natural for us to want to put up walls. But what I'm, what I'm praying is that God would really do a work in us 
and change our heart. And so here's how I, I would like for you to think and pray. With every head bowed, every eye closed, let me just ask you a couple of questions. If you would say, Pastor Scott, today, if I'm being completely honest, I don't think I meant to, but I see where I have exploded people in my life. Maybe it was a situation at work or, or a deal at work or uh, maybe, you know, sometimes maybe it was, it's your wife or your, or your husband. You knew they had a need, and so you had a need, and you exploited that situation. Or maybe it was something that you didn't exploit. Maybe it was something you withheld from someone when you knew you should have freely gave to them. You held on to it. I think it's so easy uh, to have a me and my mentality, and it's so difficult to trust people with your work and your sacrifice. And so what I want to know today is if you just by the raising of your hand would say, Pastor Scott, I've struggled with, with those issues. I've struggled with not exploiting people, and I've struggled with not freely giving what's been freely given to me. If that was you, would you raise your hand? Let me know where you are in the building. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Will you pray with me, Lord? Lord, I, I ask God that you would Allow us to see people the way you see people first. So much hurt, so much pain. and God, though we just don't see people the way you see people, we see people through how the news shows people. We see our president, God, through the negativity, the people we're supposed to pray for and honor and love and obey God. To be honest with you, God, America is just in a broke place. And it's difficult for the church to see the world in, in a fashion that we're supposed to love them and reach out to them. When all they want to do, God, is, is take away our freedoms and to call our God out, compromise our character. And so, Lord, what I'm asking today is that you would deal with our heart first. Help us, Lord, to see them as we see you. I ask you, Lord, also, Lord, if we have not freely given anything, that we have received freely first. I pray, God, you would change our heart. You would change our life, Lord. Allow us, God, to leave this place, Lord, and to walk in truth, not just to hear Scripture, not just to hear a word, but, Father, I pray for Harrison Faith Church that you would truly, truly allow us to walk in practice. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.